Would you stand, please, and we will pray. Estela. Benditos sean, bienaventurados los pobres en espíritu. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Bienaventurados los que lloran. For they shall be comforted. Bienaventurados los mansos. For they shall inherit the earth. Bienaventurados los que tienen hambre y sed de justicia. For they shall be filled. Bienaventurados los misericordiosos. For they shall be shown mercy. Bienaventurados los de limpio corazón. For they shall see God. Bienaventurados los pacificadores. For they are the children of God. Bienaventurados los que perecen de persecución por causa de la justicia. For there is their reward. And we all said, Amen. Peace, everyone. Have a seat. Uh, we have guests this morning in the house. And uh, Katie Schultz is here, who is one of the leads on our uh, Anapra connection down in Juarez, Mexico. Anapra is a neighborhood in Juarez, and we've been involved with them for many, many years. And we uh, support a lot of programs, which we're going to talk about down there. So, Katie? Okay. So, it's always really exciting every year that Estella comes to visit. So, Estella's back this year, so we're glad to see Estella. This year we have an extra special treat. Estella brought Mary Ellie, who um, is a sophomore in high school this year, and I have known her since she was just a little baby crawling around the church floor when Brandon and I were missionaries. So it's really fun to get to share her with you this morning as well. <laughs> so Mary Ellie has, um, she is a little bit nervous with her English, so she's going to read what she wanted to say. So I'm going to let her read that for you. So, good morning. Um, my name is Mary Ellie. And my family is one of the Vincent Rice family. I'm also one of the kids that comes to the library. So thank you for making Vincent Rice and the library possible. Amen. Thank you. Okay, so what do we have going on these days with an update from Anapra? Sure. So Estella came last year and got to see some libraries here in the United States, so she had some... Good idea she took back last year. So you want to talk about that a little, Estella? Yes, every time I come to Kansas, I get a chance to look at the libraries and take ideas to, to put them to work in the library. So this year we have a club, a pajama clubs for the little ones under five years old. We have a coffee mom uh, club also for the moms to meet and share the books that they like and talk about what they're reading. And we have the youth club with the, youth, with the students from high school and college. So that's very, going very excited. And this year I had the opportunity to visit the library, so I have a theme for the little ones, like a challenge reading for Spider-Man, Batman, Superman, and all those things. <laughs> so you're trying to collect books uh, of those sort of comic book themes? We want to kind of have the kids a challenge to, of reading the books as much as they read so they can keep adding up to their... Right, right. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, okay. We're looking for more Spanish books to fill the library. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. yeah. So can you say real quick what the library yeah, is? Absolutely. So um, several years ago, I found out, kind of through me and Estella, just some conversations about things that were happening in Anapra that a lot of kids don't have any exposure to books in the way that we're just so grateful for and used to here in the United States. So in your homes, it's just not common to have a lot of books. Even in the schools, there's just not a whole lot of Spanish literature that children are getting exposed to. So we um, talked about it and had this kind of crazy idea to maybe build a library in Anapra. They don't have a library. 
I was kind of I was kind of pushing on it hard, and still was kind of like, okay, I don't know why we're doing this, but we did it. Uh, so two years ago, we opened the library, and um, it's it's a about ten by five meter room, uh, and just full books. And you want to tell them how it's kind of been going this time? It's very it's been very successful. Uh, I was one of the persons actually that told Katie that I didn't think it was a good idea to have a library in an APRA. <laughs> <laughs> But, and now the library keeps me busy. On Saturdays, we have between 60 and 70 people show up at the library. We also open Mondays and, and Wednesdays, but Saturdays the busiest time. So you could see it's been a really good idea. It's a good idea. That um, <laughs> <laughs> wasn't the point. So the next thing that God is doing, and God did the library, for sure, he put that on my heart. It was not uh, me at all. But the next thing that he did that we were not expecting is the land next door library became available last year <coughs> unexpectedly. And they told Estella that it was available. And... They knew we wanted this, so they made it a high price, and she negotiated it down to something reasonable, which was awesome. And we were able to purchase it with the help of people from Lakeland. With the help of people from Lakeland, we built a fence around it, so it's now safe. So next up will now be to get the building there so that we can expand for adults to have a quiet place to read, for, for Lakelanders to go down and visit. We'd like to have some bedrooms, so there's some places for us to stay and go and experience an after there. So that's our goal for this next year. And just so you all know, Anapra is a suburb of Juarez, Mexico, just across the Rio Grande. You understand about five years ago, it was the most dangerous city in the world, right? So just a little context here of why we're doing this and your involvement in it and what these guys, you know, live with and so forth. So just want to make sure we got a little context going on. Right, and this, what Lakeland has started with was beans and rice. So five years ago, Lakeland started providing um, a monthly dispensa of rice, beans, and eggs to families in need there. And so um, that was kind of how we got started, and then we wanted to do more with our Napa Redemptive community, and that's where the library kind of was born out of. So there's a lot of good things that all of you are helping to do in Napa that Estella comes to tell us about, and Mariella comes to tell us about as well. Yeah, so the Rice and Beans program continues. Uh-huh. Yeah. It'll be our fifth year. We're going to be 46 families this year. We want to make it up to 50 this year. <laughs> we have four more families in need, so we just got to figure out the finances on that and get that up to, to 50 families. Do we participate in that? That's all, all Lakeland. Oh. So cool. And so, uh, Mary Ellen, you don't have to answer this, but, and Katie will speak for you. But um, so you're a scholarship student, yes? And so where do you go to school? To El Paso. Uh, Say it really loud in the mic. To El Paso. She walks across to El Paso every day. Okay, so she walks across the river because she's a U.S. citizen. She takes bus to the border and takes the border bridge across. It's about a two-hour trip, and then she catches the school bus at the... United States side and, and takes a bus over to her. It's a two-hour trip by bus to go to school each morning. For Mary Ellen. Yeah. This is the glaring look at my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Two hours to school each day by bus. So that she can go. That's nothing. Yeah. yeah. So awesome. Well, your English is great. So, and thank you for being with us. And thank you all for being thank with us. Thank you all for doing all the things you do down there in Anapra. And the invitation is open to anybody that wants to come down yeah. and visit Anapra. Yeah, very cool. i got to get down there sometime, so it's good. Okay, well, let us pray for them so everyone stand. And we're going to pray a very famous prayer, the prayer of St. Francis. Uh, You'll probably recognize it, uh, at least somewhere you've heard it, somewhere out there. And we're going to share it back and forth. And you guys have the bold part. And last service, we messed it up, so we're going to work much harder at it this time, yes? Okay, so let us pray. Draw us into your love, Christ Jesus. Lord, Make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, where there's injury, where there is doubt, where there is despair, where there is darkness, where there is sadness, 
O divine master, grant that I may not be so much seek to be consoled, to be understood, to be loved, for it is in giving, it is in pardoning, it is in dying. Everyone, glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Have a seat. Thank you, guys, for being with us. Well, we're going to spend the next four weeks talking about story. And I know that sounds like story. Well, that sounds kind of simple. And, um, but what you need to know just out in the theology world these days um, is that story, the fancy word for it, is called narrative. And story is um, increasingly a very, very powerful way of bringing meaning to human existence. Before, it used to be dogma and creed and what we just call sort of beliefs. And you can make a statement, you know, I think, therefore I am, and make a statement, and everybody was happy. And thank you, Chris. And these days, much more narrative is becoming important. So we're going to spend four weeks not talking about all this heavy sort of philosophical stuff. Uh, hopefully, we'll make it a lot more simpler than that. But we're, we're going to talk about story. And so today, we, we start off with Lakeland's story. And uh, I want to make sure it fits into what we would call a huge story. And not to use too fancy of a word, but it's really a cosmic story. And I don't mean that in some sort of new age mumbo jumbo. I just simply mean it's an all expansive story. And to get this feel for it, and this is all you're going to be able to really pick up. We're going to turn, if you brought your phone or iPad or laptop or, you know, supercomputer or whatever. But um, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And you could follow along. I'm in the New Revised Standard. NIV will work or G- King James or any other version of the Bible will work here. And I want to read you a really long passage. You're not supposed to memorize it. It's a story. And I want you to get the feel of what Paul is writing in this introduction of this letter to the church at Ephesus. You're going to pick up on a lot of little words and a lot of concepts. And, it, and you're going to get a sensation as opposed to some details. Okay? So, so uh, I'll read it out loud here, and um, you kind of track with the whole feel for the thing, okay? Here we go. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, and I think we go all the way down to pretty much the end of the chapter. Blessed, uh, blessed is be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, Just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. 
In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promise of the, of Holy, the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward the redemption of God's own people to the praise of his glory. Verse 15. I've, I heard, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Saints, he always says saints, he means Christians. All the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which you have been called, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all things. Amen and amen. If you pick up on the gist of this, if you get the flavor of it, despite all the theology and the nuances and, you know, my Calvinist upbringing, this was just proof texting for predestination and we ripped it apart and uh, what we really call verse jacking, you know, where you hijack a verse and use it for whatever you want. We did that all day long and, you know, we thought we were real proud of it and it's still all there. It's all good stuff. I'm not diminishing any of that. But if you read the entire introduction to the letter, as we just did, you get a feeling that there's something huge going on. Like Paul is just busting out. He can't help it. It's a magnificent beginning. It has energy and it has breath to it. And it's saying something large. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. You can see it's a huge statement. We have been redeemed through his blood, through a lavish gift of grace. It wasn't your choosing, everyone. You did not choose Jesus. You did not come up with the idea. It's from God Almighty. The hound of heaven has chased you down, as they used to say. A grand mysterious plan has been revealed to us for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, Paul says. Things in heaven, things on earth, things in this age, things in the next age. You just get this feeling it's this massive thing he's talking about. Grand plans, inheritance, heaven and earth have come together. The powers here on earth, all of our politics and all of our nationalism and everything that we have going on, our economies and, and whatever you want to call it, the markets and everything, Paul is saying that's nothing. Nations come and go. There's something going on larger. And that large thing, everyone, is the church. What is the church? It is the body of Christ, he says, here and now. In other words, you are the best Jesus someone's going to run into this week. You are Jesus here on earth right now during this gift of a lifetime that you have right now. You are in a grand story that Paul is talking about right here. You are not exempt from this story 
This is your story. And you are a part of it. You were made for more than what you have. It is an incredible mission. It is a dangerous mission. It's a scary mission. And it's the most exciting, most meaningful, most powerful mission anyone could ever be caught up in. This church and all good churches are caught up in a grand plan. Bigger than we can ask or imagine. As Paul says it in chapter 3 of this letter. And I'm excited for Lakeland because we have so much good stuff happening. And yet there's even more to come. Things like this rice and beans program and the library and what we do in China and what we do in other parts of the world and just in our own neighborhood. All of it fits in and we're being caught up into something that's called the kingdom of heaven. Heaven here on earth as Jesus teaches us to pray. We're embraced in a story. Do you have the eyes to see it? Or have you become so full of everyday busyness And let's just call it pettiness and smallness that you forget what story that you're in and what you were created for, that you are the creation of God and that everywhere you go, you are the breath of life. Have we forgotten that? Now, not everybody thinks that you're in a grand story. Some people have given up. Some Christians have given up. They've given up the whole story. Some think the world is a rotten place, a hopeless place, and the church is even partly responsible for it. And there's some truth to that every now and then, of course. But so we don't fall into a pessimistic worldview and give up and forget Paul's words there at the beginning of Ephesians. So we, so we don't forget. I'm going to give you three perspectives, these right attitudes, for gaining and remembering and owning this grand and cosmic Jesus story you and I are all caught up in. Three perspectives, okay? And here are the three perspectives. There's my perspective, there's your perspective, and there's the church's perspective, Okay, my perspective, your perspective, and the church's perspective. So first, let's start with my perspective because I have the microphone. So here's my perspective. Nearly 30 years ago, I was working in the business world. I was in my 20s, and I'm out on College Boulevard, and I'm in marketing and transportation business. And uh, I've been doing it for several years, and, but in the evenings and sometimes in the morning, and especially on the weekends, I spent my time volunteering with a parachurch ministry called Young Life. And some of you were raised in Young Life, and some of you know it. It's a wonderful ministry that reaches out to disinterested high school kids and sometimes middle school kids. I spent my days doing that, usually going after the kids that nobody really cared about because I kind of identified with them just personally. And so we hung out a lot together. I had a house just a block away from the high school, and I'd come home and tear off the suit and tie, and, and we'd all start hanging out together and do all sorts of things together, lots of fun. And we would do life together, and we would talk about Jesus, and they had a lot of questions. Remember, when 30 years ago, the kids in high school were all Gen X. Are you feeling old? Well, brush back your bald head and see if you can identify, okay? You see, that all started with me when I was about 16 years old. And in my room one night, on a Monday night, I fell on my knees, and I simply said, Jesus, help me. I know it sounds just like some sort of TV evangelist thing or whatever, but it was just that simple. I didn't think anything was going to happen, and all I'm telling you is that a huge wave came over me of love, of acceptance. And I thought, when I went to bed that night, I thought, this is awesome. I don't know if it'll be there in the morning, and it was. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, 
And I began to gather around all my party friends that I hung out with. And let's just say we were a colorful sort. I'll leave it at that. And I went back to my church. And I thought about my friends. And I, and I thought, my friends, my party friends are not going to like coming here and sitting in, these, sitting in these folding chairs and memorizing Bible verses in the King James. I just thought they have no idea what we're doing. Now, I had been raised in it, so I knew what it was all about. But I thought, there is no way. It's like a foreign language to them. And so I raised my hand and I said, you know, I don't think my party friends are going to really quite understand what we're doing here. Now, I don't know if I was right at that time or not. I was only 16 on the, at the time. But he said, very matter-of-factly and dismissively, he said, well, we're not going to change. And I remember in my head at that moment, I thought, I'm out of here. I didn't hate them necessarily. I just thought, like, it's not going to work. And so that's how I got involved with parachurch, with Young Life and things like that. And so uh, that led me then, um, skip forward back up to the business world, and I was going to church one Sunday morning, and I came home, and I was living in a house, this rented house, with some other men. We were all working guys. And uh, everybody had gone to church. Everybody scattered to various churches, it seemed like. I don't know why. We, this is the way it went. I went to an early service. And I came home, and I'm sitting on the sofa, and I'm drinking coffee. And I know, you know, Scripture says don't be puffed up by, you know, people's visions because, you know, they're just trying to make a name for themselves and stuff. But I, I have to tell you, I had a vision. And I didn't know it at the time, but here's what happened. I suddenly saw, as I was praying, like an ocean of faces, as far as I could see. And you know how these kind of things go. It's, it's like a dream type stuff. I could recognize faces very, 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 very far away, like an entire ocean. And a voice came, and it said, Know as many faces here as possible. And I began to cry. Because I knew at that moment that though I heard the words, the real thing that was going on was a calling to say, you're going to give up your life for my sake, and there will be no turning back. And I knew I was, it was a, a huge death to my own agenda. Now, I didn't know what it looked like, but I knew probably I was going to go into ministry. I enjoyed the business world. I liked it. I still like it. It still, still sounds pretty fun most of the time. Well, what happened, just to skip ahead then, is that uh, I met my wife, Laurie. Uh, well, she wasn't my wife when I met her. Uh, we got married, and that's how that works. But, um, and we moved away in our first year off to California, and I started working on my Master's of Divinity and um, spent several years out there. And then we thought we were going to be called to Las Vegas because we were living in Southern California in the early 90s and 4,000 people a month were moving out of Southern California. Unemployment was skyrocketing. Nobody could find a job. Space and uh, technology, space industry was moving out like crazy out to places like Grand Junction and Salt Lake City and Vegas, of course. Vegas was huge. You could drive into town and they put stoplights on the um, freeway because they could not get the overpasses up fast enough to make interchanges for the expansion. There were four churches in Vegas. Four. I talked to pastors when I went there to visit, and they said, we don't care if you do bad church. Just get here. And I thought, well, wow, I could pull that off. <laughs> you know, I could do bad church. This is awesome. I could be a successful bad church person. And, um, and so that took some months, and it just didn't work out. 
And so we found a place that was just like Las Vegas. It's this place called Lee Summit, Missouri. It is just like Vegas, just like it. I mean, hy V. hy V. We, we got everything here. And, um, and so it was us and another couple, and we didn't know anybody because we were just moving into town, and they had tons of unchurched friends that they went to the gym with and did life with and so forth. And you don't know it, but Lakeland started with more unchurched people than uh, people who didn't believe in Christianity or didn't know anything about it. They wanted to learn about it. They were seeking, but they didn't know anything about it. And we were way outnumbered. And it, it, set, it set a culture at the church. It set a culture in our ethos that we were, how shall we put it, more colorful than most churches, which means less holy, which in our, my Chinese our Chinese friends' words, they just called us compromising Christians, which I don't think they meant as a compliment. It kind of meant what you see is what you get, and we aren't really putting on much pretense, and we probably sin more and like it. And, uh, and we're not, you know, we're a little ashamed of it, but not enough to stop, I guess. So, um, we're, and you still have that going on. And I don't know if it's because we're sort of a Gen X church or whatever, but you tend to find people, and I know Gen X is like, Look at your parents now because they're like 48 years old. Like, you're Gen X. You know, go, go REM. So whatever. But, um, uh, and it just means that, you know, we're not too big on um, faking it. It doesn't mean we want to wallow in our, our trash. It just simply means that we will first default to being authentic. And we gathered around here a growing number of people who wanted to sacrifice and reach people just like their friends, just like them, and the church continued to grow and grow and grow. That's how it went, from a banquet hall to a movie theater to this place. And that brings us to you, right here, right now. What is your perspective? My perspective is as one is called What is your perspective? Because I understand what my perspective is here, just for a second. My perspective, according to Paul, is that I I am not the minister. You are. I think this is part of the reason why I cried sitting on that sofa so many years ago. Because I realized I was going to get opted out. That doesn't mean I'm like, don't have to be a Christian. That's not what I'm saying. It simply means is is that I am here, and and the other pastors and the staff and small group leaders, they're here to equip you. But you're the one out in the marketplace every day. You're the one out rubbing shoulders. I do my best to get out. We all do our best to get out. Marta, Garrett, me, and the rest of us. But you're the ones out there really, you know, mixing it up. You see more people in the world who are far away from Christ than I get to see during the week. I'm not the minister. You are. For some have been equipped, you know, to be teachers and pastors and prophets and administration, all this sort of stuff. But you, you're the ones that are out there. You're the ones that, like our metaphor goes around here, it's like you wash in with the tide, you know, like it's an ocean sort of um, estuary type thing. You wash in and fill up with nutrients, and then you run back out to feed the ocean. That's what's going on right here this morning. You're being reminded of what story you're in, and you're washing back out. How shall you wash back out? And that's where the bucket comes in. It's an empty bucket. Folks, you and I are to be a bucket, but not just any bucket, an empty bucket. You're to be an empty bucket because a full bucket 
can't hold anything. And it reminds me of the old story of this business executive that went to see a spiritual director. It happened to be a Catholic priest. And he came in and he sat down with the priest. And this guy was angry. And he was belligerent and he was upset at everything. And he was ranting and raving. Got his legs crossed, uncrossed. He's flying around with his arms. He's complaining about everything, about his family, about his business. He's wondering where God is. And and so the old spiritual director says, would you like some tea? And the guy's like, yeah, sure, whatever. And so he gives the guy a, a saucer and a teacup and he puts it on his knee and the guy's holding it. And then the priest doesn't really say anything. The spiritual director just kind of keeps saying, oh, interesting. Oh, wow. Hmm, hmm. You know, a lot of them, hmm. You know, you ever be around these kind of people where you have to kind of go, hmm, yeah, oh, wow, that's exciting. And so the spiritual director begins to pour the tea into his cup that's sitting on his knee. And he just keeps looking at the man and he just keeps pouring the tea and pouring the tea and pouring the tea. And it's running down the man's legs suddenly. He goes, what are you doing? He goes, well, that teacup is like you. You're so full, nothing more can be added. You see, everyone, we get so full of busyness and life and entertainment and jobs and judgment and complaining and everything else that we call life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And you cannot be a disciple if you're full. Jesus only uses people who are empty. And that's why a bucket is a great metaphor for discipleship. Because I know discipleship kind of gets worn out as an old-fashioned word. But what if you were an empty bucket? And this bucket receives rain from heaven and fills up. See, I think the best word for all of us these days is that we're pilgrims. We're on a journey. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of the word pilgrim. But what comes to my mind is guys like named, you know, Cotton and Ezekiel and Odor. Yeah? And like they all got like pointy black hats with buckles on the front and bunderbust muskets and they're carrying around like dead turkeys and pumpkins. And, you know, and like, but, or maybe you think of like, well, they're like Muslims on their way to Mecca, you know? Or maybe you picture when I say the word pilgrim, you think like some scrawny dude who climbs all the way up a Himalayan mountain and he gets to a cave and he goes inside and there's the Lama and he receives total consciousness. You know, like maybe you think that is a pilgrim, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm actually talking about a biblical pilgrim. And a biblical pilgrim, if you look in uh, the Psalms, you'll see in Psalm 84, verses 5 and 7, there is a, a picture of a pilgrim. So pay attention to this. Psalm 84. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, Lord. You have set their hearts on pilgrimage. They go from strength to strength, Till each person, till each appears before God. You know what I left out on that verse, which I should have left in? Because I cut it out and you see like, hey, six is missing. It says they go through the the valley of Baca. Which translates to the valley of tears. You pilgrimage through a valley of tears. And you go from water pool to water pool and that's when you stop. You may not travel very far that day, but you go with what you can carry, and you you get there, and then you stop because that's your water supply. Pilgrims are not in a hurry. Pilgrims take what is set before them. Pilgrims travel light and go slow. I'll never forget um, our very first trip to uh, China. It was uh, Dr. Charlie Belt who did the announcements here this morning 
And Charlie and I were taking an eight-hour trip back through the mountains of China to go to Songu Village, where church, you guys built a school for um, Nyung County kids. Nyung County is one of the poorest places uh, in the world. I'm not making that up. I, it's actually listed as one of the poorest counties in the world. Kids with bellies swollen and all this stuff and extremely filthy. And they had no school. We were going to build them a school, which you guys did. Very cool of you. Eight hours we're in this SUV banging along. And I'd met these two young guys, Jack and Joshua, and they were our guides. And they crawled into the back space of a small SUV and banged along back there in the back. And so we said, well, how'd you become a Christian? Well, I didn't know in China that when you say, how'd you become a Christian, that's a two or three hour, uh, you know, diatribe on the thing. And so they went off. Well, these guys carried a small backpack each. This is where the pilgrimage connection comes in. And I happened to glance into Pastor Jack's uh, backpack. He had a stack of Christian music CDs, a big, huge bullet-stopping Bible, and I think one pair of underwear. Now, since then, I've kind of pondered how that underwear thing worked, but I try not to think about it too much because I'm not sure he's just swapping it out each day. or Anyway, but what I was most impressed with is that he had this stack of CDs. His life was consumed with the Word of God and filling his mind with the praises of Jesus in a little backpack. That's a pilgrim. We're starting to ponder going back to China, you know, next summer, second half of next July. You want to go? Because you're going to have to leave your roller bag at home. You don't want a roller bag in China. That's not a good idea. You'll be dragging that thing everywhere and it'll be broke. And then you won't be a pilgrim anymore because you're going to be cussing your roller bag. <laughs> Backpack is the way to go. Throw in a few more pair of underwear. It'll come in handy. But we will go slow and we will travel and we'll eat what's set before us. And we will look for God. And encourage our brothers and sisters over there who are in the underground persecuted house church. That's what a pilgrim does. Eugene Peterson says this, and this is where I got this idea of the bucket, the empty bucket. Eugene Peterson says this. He says, no bucket. No bucket, no matter what wonderful things it contains, is of no use for the next task at hand until it's emptied. Negative Capability. Negative capability. Just two words sums up the whole thing. Your best and my best capability is when we are empty. That's when we're best. When we lack skills and talents, when we lack money, when we lack even health, that's when God can use us the most. It's those who have very little who do the greatest good for Jesus. That prayer we prayed from St. Francis of Assisi from the 13th century, he was wealthy. His dad was wealthy. If you've ever seen any movies on him, and he walked away from it all. Literally walked out of town buck naked. Not a thread on his back. Renounced it all. And he has been called the one who saved the church. Because he went and lived among the poor. If they didn't get any food that day, they didn't eat that day. They truly became like pilgrims. And he's a saint. Not the one who has everything. Negative capability, everyone. Surrendering under God. 
Now, you know, you don't have to travel halfway around across the world, uh, around the world to be a pilgrim. We are all pilgrims in our normal everyday life. Yeah, we have to be a pilgrim in our everyday life. Jesus, Jesus followers really have no choice in our neighborhoods, how we behave, how we think. Everything becomes a moment of pilgrimage, a discipleship moment, where your negative capability becomes everything. Rather than complaining about your neighbor's bushes not being trimmed, go over and trim their stinking bushes. Rather than complaining about your neighbor's trash can blowing down the street because they didn't pick it up, go pick up the trash can. When somebody has a baby in your neighborhood or at church or something like that, then make them a meal and take it over. It is amazing the most simplest hospitality makes such a huge difference to people. They'll think you're St. Francis because you took a casserole over. This is how we gain our negative capability. This is how we live it. Every one of us are on this sacred journey. Every day, everyone. I remember years ago, I was going to a baby shower, and they want you to write. You ever do this baby shower game where you got to write down a word, you know, like your words of wisdom to the new parents, you know? And I, I always struggled with it, and it felt kind of cheesy. And then one time I thought, you know what? The best thing you can ever tell a new parent is, like, never say the word hurry to your kid. Now, I fail at it. But I thought, yeah. Saying hurry, and th- I think about it every time. Like, how come they don't get in the, fast, uh, the car faster? How come they don't get out of the car faster? How come they don't pick up their stuff faster? You know, and you say to yourself as a parent, you know, you go around saying, really? Really? You're just going to leave that laying on the floor? You know, and the hurry syndrome thing comes in and it consumes you and eats you up. And you know what you're full of? Gripiness and crankiness. And there ain't no Jesus there. See, for new parents, you're either sitting around waiting for your kid to grow up. Oh, I can't wait until they walk. Oh, I can't wait until they feed themselves. Oh, I can't wait until they can sit on the toilet all by themselves. Oh, I can't wait until they can wipe this. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. You keep living, you know, a few months in advance of your kids and just never enjoying the present moment, which is sacred. You live in a temple all day long, and you're a pilgrim, and you're walking towards it moment by moment. No matter what happens, good, bad, and ugly throughout the day, it's all a sacred moment. Every day is waiting for rain from heaven to fill your bucket. That's our attitude. If you do this, people will think you're crazy, but you're not. It means you're holy. That's your perspective. My perspective is called, your perspective is to be an empty bucket, to be a pilgrim. So what's the church's perspective? Well, let me remind you then of something around here we call the three ends. Ends. Three ends. You're like, three what? Three ends. Okay? Yes, we have three ends around here. They are invest. Whoops, I cannot spell when I write things big. Invest, engage, and invite. Invest, engage, invite. It's a simple plan, even if you can't read it. The three ends, yes, that's true, we can't spell. Uh, Invest, engage, invite. Invest is probably the hardest part. Investing in other people 
somehow for us in our present day takes a ton of energy. And I'll tell you why. Because you and I have become picky. Judgmental, crabby, and picky. We become picky. I think you get picky as you get older. And I personally think you get picky because of how you watch other people parent their kids. And you say, like, they just jack slap their kid, like, in sitting in, you know, orange leaf. I'm not hanging out with them anymore. I don't like what kind of car they drive or minivan or truck. I'm not hanging out with them. I don't like their politics. I'm not hanging out with them. I don't like their, you know, they work at the bomb factory. I, 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 don't, I don't like them anymore. I don't like the fact that they don't make bombs. I, I don't like them anymore. And on and on and on. I don't like this. I don't like that. And you know where you'll end up as you begin to narrow in and narrow in and get pickier and pickier and pickier and pickier and pickier? You end up alone. And the worst part is you like it. You become a church of one. You become a a workforce of one. You become a neighbor of one. You become all alone. And there is no Jesus in that. It is the investment in other people following Jesus Christ and Paul and all the rest have gone before us who have said, I will go out of my way to invest in somebody else. That's why you're here this morning, isn't it? I mean, the church is a pretty trashy family, you know, right? I keep saying it's not because we're all a bunch of losers. Well, okay, it could be. But I'm simply saying it because we come together to be a family. And, you know, family, you can't. You can't get rid of them and you can't kill them, you know. So, I mean, you got to stick it out with them. And that's what we've all done. You, you're here with people that you would not choose on any sane day after you get to know them. But you're bound together. You're bound together. And this is who we are. You invest in other people. It's the hardest step. This is where you go out of your way to say, how is your day? What's going on with you? Tell me about what's going on. How's their health? How are the kids? How's all that stuff coming? And then you engage them in a spiritual, meaningful conversation. I can talk royals and chiefs and stuff like that and fishing or whatever else. But eventually, sooner or later, people have to have some sort of serious content to their life. This is not some sort of sales program where you're trying to sell them some Tupperware Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. That's fake. I'm talking about the fact that you just simply want to talk about meaningful things. If you want to talk news, weather, and sports, great. You want to talk about serious stuff, even better. Somebody has to start it. And that's you, and that's me. And then finally, have something worthwhile to invite them to. Do you think the place is good? We put a lot of energy into music and into the children's program and doing things right around here. We put in that coffee bar out there and all the rest of the stuff. All of it wasn't so we could look cool or so we could have a really hipster church or something, which you know didn't really work. But what it really happens is we just did it so the place would feel like a family. And so that people could come here and say like, well, they're not crazy. You know, here's the best thing. You ever around people who don't go to church and they don't think very much of Christians. They say, I don't like Christians. And then they say this, but I like you. And they know you're a Christian. That's like Shazam. That is a huge, awesome thing. What you want to do is be able to bring them to a place where there's some other people like you. And they're still saying, they'll keep on saying, I don't like Christians. But I like those people 
that you introduced me to at church. There are more Christians like you. Now, if they don't, if they say I don't like Christians, and then they don't, and then they don't say, "But I like you," you may need to go rethink some things, <laughs> or they just slip their mind. See, everyone. What we have to be reminded about this fall as we go at this in earnest, and this is not to build empire to become successful. We're just simply trying to be a faithful church. What we really want it to be is a very natural response is that you would invite somebody into this space, into this place, into this little village space that we have here called Lakeland, that you'd invite them in and it would be appropriate for them and that it'd be comfortable. So you know how this goes, right, when you invite somebody to church? They don't want to drive with you because Good Lord, they can't escape. You know, now they're trapped here. They want to drive their own car, so let them drive on their own. You know, and, and then they may not show. So now you're in a dilemma because you're going to be, service has already started, and you're standing out there at the front door waiting for them. And then your other Lakelanders begin to make fun of you. So, waiting for somebody to show, huh? They're stiffening you, aren't they? You know, and they begin to harass you. And so, and then you're left for the whole thing, like when you see him Monday morning or whatever, you're like, should I say, hey, where were you? <laughs> you know, or we missed you, or, or do you let them bring it up? And that's your guy's stuff to deal with. Work on that. That's a good thing to have going on. But there's nothing better than when they do come, and it all works out, you know, we hope, that they come, and they actually think even more so that maybe your God is not just some fanciful myth that it actually applies to life and that it's worth it. And maybe they ought to think about answering that still small voice that's whispering in their own soul because it's not up to you to save them or evangelize them or convert them or proselytize them. All you are is just an inviter. You are the next best Jesus. All you do is validate what's already going on inside of their heart. That's your job and my job. That's what we're supposed to do, everyone. Be the church. Be Jesus. Well, as a part of this preparation towards, you know, getting this place awesome, working on things, Lakeland is really big on serving because it really is about the next person coming through the door, and we want to put our best foot forward for them to validate you and to validate our God and our Savior, Jesus. And so I want to talk about serving just for a moment. As a matter of fact, I'm going to get some help from Adam Lips, who's going to come up here and talk to you. But just in case you don't recognize Adam after he comes up here, I'm going to show you a video of Adam so we'll all know Adam. And you can see Adam say, hi, Adam. So let's watch the video of Adam talking about serving in Zone. My name's Adam Lips, and I'm the director of KidZone, which is grades K through 4. We meet upstairs during both first and second service. KidZone's a place where we continue the ultimate goal of connecting with God and with one another as God's people. Our two primary means of accomplishing this in KidZone are through story and community. God's story is so much more than a moral guidebook or a list of do's and don'ts rights and wrongs. It's a living, breathing revelation of the love, 
hope, joy, and peace that God has brought to his people through Christ. It gives us a new identity, a new way of seeing the world, of seeing other people, and of seeing ourselves as the beloved and valued children of God. And the very best way for any of us to come to this life-giving revelation is through a community like the one we hope to foster for our children in KidZone. Each KidZone service has three main components. Students start out in small groups, separated by grade level, where they get a chance to share the important parts of their lives with each other and with caring adults. Then they move to large group time, where they can sing and dance for God, as well as take some time to consider the story or passage for the session together. Finally, the students move to stations, where they can encounter and act out the story of God through different lenses and learning styles each week. Our volunteers serve a very meaningful role in our ministry. In fact, our volunteers are our ministry. One of my favorite moments in Kid Zone has been when I had a kiddo come back six or seven months later after a lesson and share about how they had this little prayer box in their sock drawer at home and how they've been using it and you know I kind of thought that when they brought these items home they might forget about it or might not use it but it just really touched me that the things that we're teaching and using kids are extending those at home and really getting excited about it. One of the great things about serving in KidZone is that no one person is burdened with the entire task of shepherding and teaching the kids. We all come together and pitch in on this worthy goal leaving each of us with an extremely manageable but integral role to play in the children's lives. If you could show up on a Sunday and in any small way show a child that he or she is cared for and loved by you and by God, I can't imagine a more important and fulfilling thing you could do all week. Hey, good morning. I guess it's I guess it's still morning, right? We're getting close. So I'm Adam. I'm the Kids Zone director, and it's really my great pleasure to be able to come before you guys today and kind of give you a little small piece of our vision and our heart for what we're trying to do with our kids, our students upstairs in Kids Zone. Um, so each of you in your program should have received one of these cards. If you wouldn't mind just kind of grabbing that, so as I kind of read through it, you'll have something to, to look at, and so you'll see, follow along with me. So um, this card is designed for you to express any even small desire or even interest or um, curiosity, really, as to what we're doing in KidZone and how you could be a part of that. So if you're a little bit curious or interested in joining in what we're doing, there's a place for your name, there's a place for your contact preference, whether you would prefer to be contacted by either email or phone, and then you give us your address or your phone number. Uh, then the next thing says, circle your roles of interest. I realize this is kind of maybe different for people that have different personality styles. For me, if I, if I don't know like what's going on, I probably wouldn't circle any of these. But other people who are a lot more like exuberant than me, like might circle all of them, like, oh, I'm excited about everything. I don't know what it is, but I'll circle all four. We get those two. Uh, so either way is fine. If, you, if there's already something that you know, like, oh, man, I, I would love to do tech. I already love doing tech. 
I could do tech for kids zone. You already kind of know what you want to do. You can circle that. But if not, that's totally fine because of the next question, which says, either I would like to take a tour to learn more, or I don't need a tour. I'm ready to jump in. So you may be like, yeah, that sounds great. That whole vision of, of helping kids connect with God and with each other, that sounds awesome. I would love to do that, but I don't really know what that looks like. Well, we've got a great opportunity for you if you'd like to take a tour with us. This is one of the things we love to do. We love to take people up and just show them our ministry. Um, You can just observe, watch what happens, watch the kids as they worship and as they they hang out together and do stations, um, and watch the volunteers and what they do and, and how they connect with kids. And then you can decide, you know, yeah, that's something I would want to do, or no, maybe something else, you know, maybe a different part of the church is better for me. Uh, one thing that I do want to reiterate is if you sign this card, like you're not, you know, giving us three years of your life, like you're not writing in a contract in blood. Really, all this is is saying I'm kind of interested and I'd like to know more. And that, that's really all filling out a card would mean this morning. Um, you will notice that the very last question there says service you would prefer to serve. We do run both first service and second service for KidZone. So if you have a serving preference, he's like, well, I know you know, I would rather always just be here for second service, or I'd like to serve first and attend second, because I have family that comes in second service. Any kind of things like that, we are, we'd love to work with you and, and find the, the specific role and the time that works best for you. I'm actually really excited that, that KidZone uh, gets to show our video on a, a week where the story is, the, you know, the main lesson of, of the, the morning. Because story is so important to what we're doing in KidZone. Um, it's important for the kids to see how they fit into God's story. Like that's really our heart and our passion, is to let the kids connect with God through seeing their story fit in with God's story. Um, and it's important for the volunteers, too. For any of you who may be thinking, yeah, this is something I'd like to look into. Um, the story, that, as Dan was, was preaching this morning, of, of what you could be doing and and connecting with kids and connecting with God and, and forming this community, all of those stories converging, coming together into one. For me, I, there's nothing more exciting to see in the church than that. Um, so I hope and I pray that some of you this morning will join us and will we'll want to be a part of that kind of team and that kind of community that's um, shepherding our kids the best way that we can. Thank you very much, and I'm going to turn it back over to Dan. Yeah. He's got another word for us. Yeah, that's Thanks, good. guys. Thanks, Adam. All right, everyone, stand up, please. All right, so may the peace of the Lord be with you, and may you be the tide that washes out with the nutrients of Jesus. Be the best Jesus you can be this week, folks, because people are counting on it, and God's counting on it too. Amen? Amen. Amen. See ya.